my uh, home at Christmas time, not right now, uh, growing up was always a, 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 just a huge time. I think my, my father grew up on the wrong side of the tracks, very, very poor, very poor family. I don't believe they celebrated Christmas in any way, shape, or form, really. So he made up for lost time when we were little kids. And we had every light and the mechanical snowman type thing in the world out in the front yard. And just every, every doorway had holly and mistletoe in our house, lights everywhere. And the two-man tailor had nothing on my dad. Uh, but one of the things that was always blaring, even at Christmas time through our, our house, was southern music. You know, my folks are from Tennessee. And this may be one of my versions to, to southern gospel, just southern music. Because I've heard it my whole life. My parents loved Johnny Cash. Listen to Johnny Cash all the time. And uh, one of my favorite songs by Johnny Cash was A Boy Named Sue. I love this song. Let me sing. Let me sing. I'm going to sing. No, I'm not singing anything. But let me read some of the verses of this song. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. Let me, let me uh, read some of the verses of this song for you. Uh, he says, well, my daddy left home when I was three, and he didn't leave much to ma and me, just this old guitar and an empty bottle of booze. Now, I don't blame him because he run and hid, but the meanest thing that he ever did was before he left, he went and named me Sue. All right. Well, he must have thought this is quite a joke, and it got lots of laughs from lots of folk, and it seems I had to fight my whole life through. Some gal would giggle, and I'd get red, and some guy would laugh, and I'd bust his head. I tell you, life ain't easy for a boy named Sue. Well, I grew up quick and I grew up mean. My fists got hard and my wits got keen. I'd roam from town to town to hide my shame. But I made me a vow to the moon and stars. I'd search the honky-tonks and bars and kill that man who gave me that awful name. Well, it was in Gatlinburg. Everything's in Tennessee, right? Gatlinburg in mid-July. And I just hit town and my throat was dry and I thought I'd stop and have myself a brew. At an old saloon on a street of mud, there at a table dealing studs sat the dirty mangy dog that named me Sue. Well, I knew that snake was my own sweet dad from a worn-out picture that my mother had, and I knew that scar on his cheek and his evil eye. He was big and bent and gray and old, and I looked at him and my blood ran cold, and I said, My name is Sue. How do you do? Now you're going to die. Yeah, that's what I told him. Well, then the song goes on and on. Then it gets better. Uh, lots of fighting. They get in this big old fight, and they're cussing and kicking and biting and hitting each other with furniture, and they fall out in the street. And then Sue pulls a gun on his dad. And just before he's going to kill his dad, his dad explains why he named him Sue. And says, you know what? Life is hard. And, and if you're going to make it, you've got to be hard. And so I figured that name would make you hard. And so then he ends the song this way. He says, well, I got all choked up. And I threw down my gun. And I called him my pawn. He called me his son. And I came away with a different point of view. And I think about him now and then every time I try and every time I win. And if I ever have a son, I think I'm going to name him Bill or George. Anything but Sue. Yeah, I hate that name. Yeah. <sighs> Wonderful song of theology, actually, because... <laughs> I'm serious, kind of. Sue's dad understands a couple things. He understands that life is hard. Life is not always your friend. It is going. There's going to be stuff that you can't go around, you can't go over, you can't go under. You've got to go through it. And if you don't have a power source of some sort, it's going to eat you alive. And he understands also the power of a name. 
my uh, oldest boy, let me back up a second. I was in high school. I found this book in the corner of my, my uh, church, Shadow of the Almighty. It's the life of, of Jim Elliott. I'd never heard of Jim Elliott. I didn't know what this was about, but I was a reader, so I read this thing. He was a missionary, uh, went through Wheaton College, uh, burned with a passion to know Christ, went to the Auk Indians in Ecuador in the 50s. He was martyred by them, murdered by them, before he got to share Christ with them. Well, that book inspired me so greatly, probably more than any other book other than Scripture. Uh, so we named Nathan, Nathan Elliott, named after Jim Elliott. And I would pray, Lord, would you give this kid the spirit of Jim Elliott? Would you help him to be as passionate for you as Jim was? Would you help him to want to know you and serve you accordingly? There's, there's much about a name. Now, now Isaiah... Uh, 750 years before Jesus came, Isaiah, looking forward, could see him. And Isaiah knew the same sort of stuff that Sue's father knew. He knew that life is dark, life is difficult, and you need a power source if you're going to make it through. And so one of the names that he tells us of who this Messiah is going to be, right in line with, with this. Isaiah 9, 6 says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Now, notice that too, I wish we had time to compare this to Luke chapter 2 when the angels come. The angels are like quoting Isaiah. Remember? Unto you, a child, right? It's, it's, it's the same picture, the same ideas. And the government will be on his shoulders. I mean, he's going to be in charge. He will be called... Wonderful Counselor. We talked about that last week. If you weren't here, grab the CD, listen online for free. Um, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We want to camp a little bit on the Mighty God one today. Because that's fascinating. You know, these, these terms, you get into it, you dig into it. This is just fascinating. Mighty. Mighty, uh, it, it speaks of power and strength, right? It comes from the same word as the word warrior, now, uh, this, this, this mighty warrior is the deal. Somebody who will fight your battles. Now, for these folk in 740 B.C. in Judah, war was not something that happened a long time ago. It happens today. War was not something that happened far away. This happens right here. Just about every one of Isaiah's original recipients of this had their lives scarred by fighting, by battle, by its atrocities. And it was a very common thing. And so what you, you wanted, what you needed, you needed a mighty warrior, right? Somebody who would fight for you, who would, who would take care of, of your battles. Now when God first got his people Israel out of, out of Egypt, you know the whole ten plagues thing, his goal was that he was the mighty warrior for them. And initially, they were cool with that. All right, that, that's fantastic. He got them through the Red Sea and through the, the desert stuff and yeah, co- conquered Canaan. That was good. But then the people started looking around. And they were looking at all the other nations. And all the other nations had a king. Now, you need to know, the king was not necessarily a, a political figurehead as much as he was a, a mighty warrior. 
He was the one who fought the battles. He was the first in the last out. He was the guy that came up with the plan. He didn't lead from some office someplace. No, he was in the middle of it. He was right there. And they looked around and they saw that all these other people had kings. And they wanted the respect of these other folk. And they knew they might have to fight some of these other folks sometime. And so they came to this guy who was kind of in charge loosely of their loose confederation, guy by the name of Samuel, spiritual sort of guy. And they said, uh, Samuel, we want a king. We want a mighty warrior. And Samuel said, whoa, 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 whoa. See, God is going to be your mighty warrior. And they said, no, 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 no. That's not going to work. We want a real one. You know, we want one with flesh on him. We want a big, we want one that's going to, we want one these other guys can see. We want one that we can see. We want, and, and he kept pushing, Samuel kept pushing back, and the folk kept saying, no, 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 no. First Samuel says, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us. That we also may be like all the nations. It's always a problem, right? When you want to be like all the nations. Well, we might be like all the nations. And that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. They, life is scary. There's, there's, if you, if you haven't, when you don't really know this when you're a kid, but you learn this certainly in time, that, that there are enemies, that there are things and there are People and there are situations and there are elements of culture that will fight against you whose goal is to destroy you. There are accidents and there are, are, are diseases and there are, are things that you can't control. It's just scary. And so you want someone to get up in front of you, someone to, to, to stand between you and the issues and someone to fight all of those issues for you. This speaks of security. This is, this is safety. We want someone who's bigger, bigger than these things, someone that's bigger than all of the other nation's warrior. That's, that's who we need. And now, right now, their, 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 their warrior was, was Ahaz. He wasn't doing a very good job. See, see what had happened is, is God acquiesced to the people. A tragedy is to get what you want sometimes, isn't it? And sure enough, Samuel's discouraged with this, but the thing displeased Samuel when they had said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Next slide. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. I'm not sure that the people thought they were rejecting God. But they, they just did. Whenever you transfer your trust to, whenever you have a a mighty warrior, someone you're expecting, something you're, you're, you're trusting in to protect you that's beyond God, on one level you are rejecting him. He says that, uh, I like this, he says, give it to them, but warn them, let them know that these warriors they're selecting, they're never going to be what I could have been. It's going to come back and bite them. We, 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 do, we do the same thing. You know, things have never, never, never changed. We do the exact same thing. Our mighty warriors sometimes can be finances. It's going to stand between us and problems. Man, we can get enough. See, that's going to protect us. And it can on one level. 
until you get the doctor's report, or until your kid goes off the deep end, or your marriage crashes, or you realize all the finances in the world, they're not, they're not bigger than some of these enemies. Not, they're, they're just not. And God's just saying, every mighty warrior you choose in this world, it's got a downside. It's got a downside. So God gives him Saul. Saul was their king. He was a good king for a while. He, after Saul comes David and then Solomon. Uh, then the, the nation would split. And you got North Israel and South Israel. Now, none of the North Israel kings, they'd have a bunch of them, were related to David. But all the South Israel, Judah's kings, they were all related to David, which would mean Ahaz was related to David. But all of them. David, Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, Josiah, Joash, they all failed the people at some point. They all did what God would not have done. And Ahaz certainly did. I mean, Ahaz wanted to protect them. Ahaz thought, I was a big, strong warrior guy. But the, the enemy's war machine and the enemy's weaponry and the enemy's skilled warriors and the, the enemy's tactical skill was just superior to his. So he did the best he could. But the people were, were like I said, scarred with war. They lost all kinds of things. You know, can imagine the atrocities with war. That's what the people got when they were trusting in Ahaz. That's fascinating. Uh, I, I would think that right here at this point, if, if he would have just said his name will be mighty, you know, he's a mighty warrior, I think the people would have been happy. See, the whole Old Testament was, was really a, a hero era. You know, you got David and his mighty men. You, you got you got David's taking on Goliath, and you got Samson, and you got Deborah, and you got you got these these exploits of these these people. It was really a might makes right era in the Old Testament. And there's no uh, International Justice League and uh, uh, worldwide uh, human rights advocacy groups. No, 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 no. People who had the power were the people who controlled your life. This is might makes right. You know what? In that era, it's really nice to have some might, right? And you want a, a, a mighty warrior to be before you, to fight, to protect you. That's what, that's what you needed. And again, I think at this point, if Isaiah would have just left it at that, he's going to be your mighty warrior. People would have been happy. But so he tacks on another word. He's your mighty warrior who is God. Now, this is comp- complicating things for, for, for a Jewish person. It, it's not that this is hard to translate. It's, it's not. Some folk have tried to say that, oh, that's not really God, blah, blah. You really have to play uh, uh, language gymnastics to get there. It's just very clear what, what Isaiah is referring to. This is, this is God. Um, but a Jewish person, wait a minute, this is going to be for to us, a child, a, 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 a son, this is going to be a baby born, and it's going to be God? Now, we like the mighty warrior. This is why the Jewish folk were expecting the Messiah to be a mighty warrior, because it said he was going to be. But God, ah, they struggled with this. Well, fast forward 700 years, and Ahaz is a great-granddaughter, finds herself pregnant, She's a virgin, though. Her name is, is Mary. And this promise is fulfilled. It's a wonderful counselor, mighty God. It's right, 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 right here. 
But you need to know this, this this baby being born, this was the official beginning of Jesus, but it really wasn't the official beginning of the second person of the Trinity. Jesus, not with that name, but existed uh, from eternity past. John 17, this is, this is a fascinating text. Jesus' last prayer before he, he's going to the cross, right? He says, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And Jesus knew that, that he didn't start with Mary. This is before the world existed. John chapter 1 kind of goes over this as well. It says, in the beginning was the word. John's going to call Jesus the word here. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Check this out. He, he takes it another step. And all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This this second person, the Trinity, that we're going to call Jesus in time, he created everything. And Colossians 1 just hammers this a little bit clearer. He is the image, talking about Jesus, of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, I mean everything, demons, everything. All things were created through him and for him. He created everything. This, this one who is, we're going to know is, is Jesus. He created it all. They tell us that uh, conservatively, we got 10 billion trillion stars in our universe. For every grain of sand on this planet, there are multiple stars in the in the universe. Right? We know one really closely. It's our sun. It's 93 million miles away. It takes like seven or eight minutes to get to us. Uh, the sun is really kind of ginormous, uh, comparatively speaking. 99% of the mass of our solar system is in our sun. You would take 190 Earths and line them up to give you the width of the sun. You could put 1.3 million Earths inside the sun. The sun has this massive uh, uh, nuclear explosions. It works off of nuclear fusions, like nuclear bombs going off on a, on a regular basis. And they, they say, and I'm going to check this number out because I don't want to misquote it for you. But they said that every minute, every minute, our sun produces six billion quadrillion calories of heat. That's Six followed by 27 zeros every minute. Uh, the, the sun, 10,000 degrees on the surface, 23 million degrees Fahrenheit at, at, at its core. And the crazy thing is, our sun's not all that big of a deal. Not in the universe. Uh, astrophysicists have recently found a, a galaxy about 300 million light years away. You know these numbers. They're all like astronomical, right? Uh, 300 million miles away. And that produces 2 trillion times the energy of our sun. I mean, it's just mind-blowing. Now, Genesis, this is, check out Genesis 1, 14 and 15. It says, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens that separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years and let them be lights at the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so God just created this with a word. Just out. This was the second person of the Trinity. This is what we come to know. Jesus just created. Now, physicists tell us 
That, that the source has to be at least as big, at least as powerful as that which it creates. So take all of the stars in the universe. Cumulatively, the creator has to be at least as big as all of them combined. Powerful. Powerful. This way, Isaiah 40, he kind of, God's talking, he mentions this. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. This is the one who created these. Parents name their kids. Artists name their work. You get to name that which you've created. God names the stars. This is because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. So this, this mighty warrior one day is coming. It's going to be a baby. It's going to come. It's going to grow. He was pretty mighty. That's why when we see him, when he grows up, and we see uh, him, he displays the works of God easily enough. All of his miracles would go over a gazillion uh, of them. But uh, maybe that's a little bit hyperbole. But but still, New Testament gives us a lot of them, right? Uh, Mark um, 8. This is is amazing. Um, I think it's Matthew 8. What you got is you is you got is it Mark eight? Show me that You're Matthew. I got it right. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, what what it what it happened is they he, Jesus comes against to the paralytic. They bust open the um, uh, get my story straight. Just googled. He's in the boat in the storm. You know the story. You grew up in church and it's the boat. And so Jesus. Uh, they wake him up, Lord, Lord we're going to drown. And Jesus screams at the wind and the waves, peace, be still. And according to the terminology there, it's not like the thing started to die down. It's, it goes from hyper-violent to immediately peace. And so what happens? The, the, the people marvel, what sort of man is this? That even the winds and the sea obey him. Of course, it does. he created it. He's, he's their warrior. He's their mighty warrior. He's supposed to stand between them and these things that will hurt him. Of course. This is a Mark passage. because he does, And so on and on for miracles. But he also forgives sins. And this is amazing. In Mark chapter 2, just listen to, to this. It says, uh, they came to him, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not, not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof from him. And when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes who were sitting there questioning in their hearts Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? Obviously, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven, because you're never going to really know that anyway. But to say, rise up and walk, immediately you're going to be proved a huckster or, or someone who knows what they're doing. It says, but that you might know that the Son of Man has authority or power on earth to forgive sins. 
He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. I don't think that their amazement is primarily on the, the healing this paralytic. For this culture, bigger issue, bigger than the healing, would have been the ability to forgive sins. Oh man, this was what it was all about. All of culture was rotating around this. All the things you did not do to try to get your sins forgiven. And Jesus can just come out and say, your sins are forgiven. And then he can prove that he can do that, that he's got the power to do that. I mean, it's just a mind-boggling sort of, sort of deal with Jesus. You know, Jesus could do the miracles. He could do the things of God that only Almighty God could do. He, he, he could forgive sins. Only Almighty God forgives sins. Everyone knew that. He also taught with power. He taught with authority. When I was getting my, my uh, writing my dissertation, before I started writing this thing, and that's a big old book you have to write to finish your degree, my number one reader, I remember he sat down with me, <laughs> and uh, he, just, he just was in my face saying, you just better keep this in mind as you write this thing. You are not an authority. You understand what I'm saying? You are not an authority. I don't care what your opinion is. I don't care what your thoughts are on a subject. I don't care what your ideas are. You, you, you are not an authority. What I want to know is if you know what the authorities, which you're not, by the way, what, that you understand what they think and that you're able to pull their thoughts together because you are not an authority. So my whole, dis- you know, whole dissertation is nothing but footnoting people and stuff. Well, this is what the, the rabbis did. They would quote Rabbi so-and-so and Rabbi so-and-so and Rabbi so-and-so and then connect the dots and say, therefore. They, they were always quoting the authorities because they were not the authority. Jesus comes on the scene, right? Matthew, Sermon on the Mount. And he says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. And they're young, yeah, God said that one. He says, but I tell you. <laughs> Who are you? You tell us. Who are you? They went again. You've heard it said that you shouldn't, you, you should write a certificate of divorce for whoever you want to divorce. You want to divorce your spouse. But, and they said, yeah, yeah, that came from Moses. <laughs> but I tell you. <laughs> Who are you? No one contradicts Moses or God unless you're God. Yeah, that's right. Uh, then in, at the end of this whole sermon, look what they say in, in Matthew 7. It says, and when Jesus finished these, saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Why? Because he was eloquent, because he could make them laugh, because he was so humorous in his presentation. No, no. Because he was teaching them as one who had power or authority, not as their scribes. He wasn't quoting Rabbi so-and-so or so, quoting himself as the authority, which would have been right, I guess, if he was God, Right? So Jesus, almighty, all-powerful God. What an amazing, amazing, amazing thing. Now, now, when you, you, you understand that the Messiah came to be my, your 
almighty warrior God to stand between us and, and, and whatever would seek to hurt us, to, to protect us. What does that do? What does that look like in life? Several pictures in, in the scripture, but Daniel chapter 3. Um, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego one day hanging out in their home, Jerusalem. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar conquers Jerusalem, takes them captive into Babylon. All right. Man. Then Nebuchadnezzar, what he does is he erects this statue, this gold statue. And, and he requires that his entire empire uh, bow down to it. We're going to have a national holiday, and the, the alarms are going to go off, and when they do, I want everyone to bow down. Nebuchadnezzar really didn't care about religion. That wasn't the issue. It was political. It was like pledge allegiance to the flag thing. He wanted to make sure that everybody in his empire had no greater loyalties than himself or Babylon. And so when you would bow down basically to this statue of gold, which is representing Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, you were saying, you know, nothing is more important. My life is not more important than you. You alone are to be worshipped and praised. Well, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego have an issue with this, right? Because they're, they're Jewish, because Scripture's real clear. You worship God and God alone, and because they, they love their God. And so they're not, this is going to be, yeah, this is a tough one. And so the day comes and the alarms go off and Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego do not bow down. And someone turns them in. And they go and stand. They get called into the office. You've been called into the office. Your boss, they get called into the office. Nebuchadnezzar calls them in. They're like Nebuchadnezzar's wise men. They're magi. They're pretty far up the ladder, actually. But Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, guys, tell you what we're going to do. So I'm going to give you another chance. See, I'm going to give you another chance. And then this is what he says. He says, and if you don't worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Now, that last question is a rhetorical question. I don't think Nebuchadnezzar was expecting any kind of an answer. However... You know, Meshach, Shabrak, and Abednego are saying, well, since you asked, and verse 17, they answered and said to the king, the 16 and 17, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. When, when you understand the, the power of God that causes you to live your life based in faith, not fear. Now, that's not to say that there aren't things that scare us sometimes, that cause us a little bit of anxiety. But we will never act on our fears. We act on our faith. And so, uh, these guys, you need to know, John Ortberg reminds us that these guys did not have a plastic, silver platter kind of life. Everything was handed to them, and they just had it so cushy. <laughs> These guys, remember, they're in Jerusalem. And probably they're hearing the rumors that Nebuchadnezzar's going to come. You've got to know that they probably prayed, Oh God, please keep Nebuchadnezzar from coming. Well, it didn't work. Nebuchadnezzar came. And then he, he besieged the whole city. And so they're probably praying, Oh God, please don't let Nebuchadnezzar break it down the doors and come in here because that's going to be a bad deal. Please protect us. Don't let Nebuchadnezzar in. Nebuchadnezzar gets in. 
And then when they're picking people who they're going to send to Babylon, they're probably wanting to stay with their family, I'm guessing. Please, God, don't let them choose me. Please don't let them choose me. Guess who was chosen? They go off to Babylon. They're in Babylon, and they hear this edict. Golden statue, bow down, fiery furnace. they got to be praying. Oh, God, please, please let uh, help me to not get caught. Guess what? They're caught. They knew disappointment. This is, this, is, this is huge for me because they knew God's power, and they knew that, that how it might work into their life situations was, did not diminish it in any way, shape, or form. Just because it wasn't used the way they thought it should be used didn't diminish God's power in any way, shape, or form. And so they look at the king and they say, we can't, can't do that. Sorry, that's, 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 that's not going to happen. Our God, he is able. You want to know what God is able? I'm telling you, we know. He's, our God is able. Your furnace, the stars, <laughs> your furnace, nothing. Piece of cake. Sorry, that's just what, you're, you're pretty cool, Nebuchadnezzar, but it's just, compared to God, no, sorry. It's not going to work. Uh, and then, in verse uh, 18, they say probably the greatest declaration of commitment in all of Scripture. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty. They're not disrespectful. That we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Our God's able. <laughs> Question. He can deliver us. And we think he will. But even if he does not, and this furnace of yours is going to be our entryway into heaven. You just need to know. We're not. You know, we, we, you probably know Christians who are really into verses 16 and 17, right? They got a strong 16 and 17 theology. My God can deliver. My God will deliver. I'm just going to trust him to deliver. My God can deliver. But they don't have a lot of room for verse 18 in their theology. But even if he does not, no, that one's not even in there. That's not in there. We, have, we play the uh, if-then game with God, don't we? If, if you just get me out of this mess, please get me out of the future. If you just get me out of this mess, then I will live for you. I'm not going to really live for you unless you get me out of this mess. And, and if you heal me, then I'm going to go be a missionary. And if you bring my kid home or get him straightened out, then I'm going to, I'll do everything. And if, if, if in fact, you, you help me out financially, God, then I promise you, I'm going to tithe. I'll give 11%. I'll, I'll be good. If you just, just, if you, then I, please, God. But somebody who has verse 18 in their theology, someone who understands the power of God, and it's bigger than their individual agenda, they would be someone who would say, um, maybe if they were single, they would say, Oh God, would you give me a godly spouse? I really want a godly spouse. But even if you do not, you need to know I am not going to bow down to the world's gods of illicit relationships. It's just not going to happen. Or maybe, God, would you fix the spouse like God? I mean, you know, he or she and all the issues and the this and that. And I could be so much better if they just were. So, God, would you please just fix them? But even if you do not, you need to know, Lord, I'm going to be as faithful with my vows that I made before you I could ever possibly be. God, I'm in this mess financially, and I don't know how I got, but I'm here. Could you just help me out? But even if you don't, Lord, you need to know I'm going to be generous. 
God, I, I'm sick, and I don't like I don't like to be sick. Could you could you just heal me, Lord? Please, just heal me. You can do this. It's not a problem. You're God. You can do this. But even if you do not. I am not going down the, the road of self-pity. My praise for you will not be diminished in any way, shape, or form. Do you have 18 in your theology? Is it just, he can, he will. I'm going to hope, Tinkerbell faith it a little bit and see if we get there. But do you, or do you have 18 as well? But even if he does not, he's still strong, still faithful, still good. Still powerful, still my mighty warrior. Well, one day when Jesus was born, the disciples couldn't understand really because I think they came to realize he was mighty warrior that he can calm the storms and he could heal disease and the demons ran from him and nobody could stop Jesus he was a mighty warrior but but he he let these peon people crucify him and I, I think they didn't he was here to fight their battles but they didn't understand who their enemy was they thought it was a political deal but oh no 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 uh, hell their sin was their enemy and so he went to the cross between them and hell between us and hell fighting our battle as our mighty warrior he rose triumphant today he is our Messiah. It's not something he used to be. Or he is our mighty warrior God today. Let me ask one or two questions. Both may apply to you. But do you have anything right now in your heart? Did you know what? You really need power. You really need a mighty warrior. You really need mighty warrior. You've got strength beyond anything and everybody. You do you have that? You know what? If you know Christ, you've got it. Living with an understanding of who he is helps us to live by faith, not fear. You've got it. Even if he doesn't act out the way we want him to, we're going to live for him. Let me encourage you, whatever you're in, even if he doesn't, determine. Even if you don't act out God the way I want you to, I'm going to live for you. Maybe... You've never trusted in Christ as your mighty warrior who came to fight your greatest enemy. You didn't realize that your number one enemy was sin or was hell and that Christ went on your behalf. And maybe, I, I know how church stuff goes, talk to lots of people, one day, one day, one day. Well, maybe, sometimes you just have to say, today is going to be my day. What else is it going to take to convince me, to get me there? What, else, what am I waiting for? It's time, maybe today for you. It's your time to embrace him as my almighty warrior God. Fight my battles. Would you take a moment and pray with me? Let's close your, your, your eyes, bow your heads for just a second. And if, in fact, something came to your mind when I asked you if you needed uh, power, if you needed a mighty warrior, what would be the number one thing you would need that for today? 
the, the burden of your heart causes your heart to, to hurt maybe gives you the greatest anxiety how about you give that to him I think one of the reasons why Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego verbalized this was for them as much as anybody else but give that to him and say Lord this is my deal this is how I would like you to respond and I know you're powerful enough to do it this way but even if you do not Lord I'm going to be faithful to you